Well, 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 good afternoon. Happy podcasting day. This is Rachel Vogt. So, um, I wasn't here last week. I totally screwed up this whole big old end of the year shebang that I had, hoping that I would end 95 episodes in 2021. I had a friggin' sale last week. That's just is another testament to how human I still am and disorganized I choose to be some days. I just didn't plan very well. Um, and it wasn't even so much that I should, I didn't have um, the capacity to film a podcast. It was just that I wasn't going to launch the podcast the same time that I did the sale. So I digress. We will be at 94 podcasts total by the end of the year. But this is the last one for 2021. So welcome and thank you so much for being here. I am so appreciative. I've been flooded with love by so many people the last a week or so. It has been phenomenal. So it is just going to be a really great way to wrap up the uh, podcasting season, the year, moving into 2022. And um, the conversation today it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. So if you are new, welcome, welcome. Most of you are not generally if you are, uh, if you're here, but if you are, oh my gosh, well, thank you so much. Screenshot this, send it to me, put it in your story, do something. It means the world to me uh, to know that you are vibing with it, especially if you feel like you want to delve a little bit deeper about something we talked about. Come on. I love it. And y'all been doing that um, with me a lot more lately, which I just guess it helps to tell you to tell me that you like what you hear because Okay, and just, just do it, okay? Uh, so free content dropping all the time um, here on Anchor, as well as the Book of Face on my personal page, which I've been taking a little bit of a break from, which we'll talk a little bit more about in here in a minute. But the VIP page is always active, still active. It's where I'm spending most of my time. Uh, 18 years or older, Feminine Energy is also on Facebook. It is the intimacy group that not only is a community of people that uh, discuss and educate, but it is a lot of humor, a lot of connectivity, uh, being able to really relate to the messiness that is sex and intimacy, and of course, growing from that. Uh, so 18 years or older, you got to be absolutely got to be invited by somebody who's already in the group so make sure to let me know reach out to me if you would like to uh and you can still get free content on tiktok and instagram as well uh so all the places right and if you would like to oh my gosh what a great time to do one-to-one -one sessions right if you are somebody who traditionally wraps yourself up a little bit in the mentality of a year coming to a close and starting off brand new then what better time to do that if you've been really wanting to focus on you okay message me we can set up some one-to-one -one sessions i just got a phenomenal message from one of my clients today really made my year uh really made my year so thank you so much for that and of course group classes i did have some general interest back in those as well i should say back in those somebody reached out to me and asked me when the next class was and i was like good question haven't decided um but those are still going on so let me know if you're interested as well because i'll be sure to let you know when we have the like, next class going for sure so all of that stuff right now um i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say and then we'll roll into a little bit of this like clarity that's rolling to me which is what i appreciate kind of what i've been praying for right okay so this conversation about what you're listening to today and all of this stuff that is a good girl's guide is all about the focus and factor of everything being connected your wealth, your relationships, your mental and physical well-being, your spirituality, and your purpose. It is something that it is inevitable that bleeds into one another. It doesn't matter what you're focusing on. Everything is affected by everything. And women are much better at that. Feminine entities are much better at that, allowing to consume their thoughts and lives. While as masculine individuals have a tendency to be able to compartmentalize and move in a masculine fluidity. So, you know, that is obviously why I believe my audience is primarily feminine because they can just relate to what I'm talking about. So, all right. First, I think I said first and foremost already, but let's go ahead and make some announcements. So as I had been wavering back and forth about what to do with the podcast, it is official decision-making time. So as of today, this is the last podcast of the second season and I will be taking a break from doing the podcast. I, I, I feel like it's really silly for me not to know already, but I haven't just fully decided. I don't, I know I'm not going to be going back to a weekly podcast yet after I come back from the break, I know I'll be doing at least a monthly podcast because uh, in the year of 2022, um, not only is it my 10 year celebration of the in-home party sales company that I'm a part of, but it is just like general celebration of growth and expansion and really kind of melding the best of both worlds when it comes to doing the in-home party consulting and the intimacy coaching. So. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening and being celebrated, but I myself am doubling down on the devotion aspect. So I'm trying to 
eliminate things that are not top priority. Number one, that's business and personal. I'm trying to prioritize things that are moving me towards what I want to do, even if that's not a financial goal or not. If it's just something that's creative and flowy and I want to do it and I'm going to do it, then that's great. So I say all that because I know for sure I'll be doing a monthly podcast because um, two of my girlfriends and I have committed to trying something new in 2022 every month. And it is something about personal development, spiritual development and growth. It is um, a new experience that I myself, I've not tried any of these things. So this is gonna be a lot of fun. I don't know about the other ladies. And so in January, the first one we're gonna be doing is like birth charts, astrology charts by somebody who is professionally um, good at this, or I shouldn't say professionally good at it. They are good at it, but they're professional. So they're, I'm just excited. So we'll be recapping those once a month. I, and from there on out, I don't know in addition whether what, what I'll be doing. So I just wanted to get you, give you a heads up and let you know, not that you probably really care, but you know, next week when there's no podcast. Okay. Uh, in addition to that, I today wanted to talk a little bit about the confessions of being a consultant. Okay. So look forward to next year when um, the podcast drops and you'll get a notification if you have subscribed to it or not. And there'll be some information coming your way about that too. So confessions of a consultant today. I thought this would be a really great way to wrap some stuff up. I really wanted to do like a whole podcast about like from where we are to where we are and bring, bringing it full circle, but it just didn't feel like it was going to be tangible in one podcast and I would like to devote a little bit more to it. So I thought this would not only be something that's kind of fun, uh, Confessions of a Consultant, but something that will still end the year with some positivity. It's still going to end the year with some education and empowerment, uh, so on and so forth. So let's get into it, okay? But I will say, because I don't believe... Well, I do. I mean, I know why, but I don't believe in doing the FOMO personally. It's not something that I'm really great at. I don't like to tell people you know, um, or make you feel like you're missing out. And that's why you have to tune into me. And I say that because you're not going to get any juicy details of people's things like in the bedroom. Um, that's not what this conf confessions of a consultant is all about. Okay. Uh, but you'll see. Okay. We'll just see what I'm talking about. Confessions of a consultant. Okay. What I mean by that is, um, really more of a focus about the trends that I've seen in nine years of partying, the things that I think that most people would be able to vibe and connect with and understanding a little bit more about intimacy to see not only how we're much more alike than we are different, to bring some reassurance to your current situation, uh, to some guidance about where you're going and so on and so forth, okay? And I think you're gonna like it, okay? Y'all tend to, y'all tend to really like it when we dig into the intimacy stuff, okay? Okay, so first things first, because I do know that there are some people that I adore and love that listen to the podcast or are part of the VIP page that I've never met. I've never met. I had an amazing conversation with a gal tonight that I've never met in person, but her and I have been uh, Facebook buds for quite a few years, and I've watched her grow into um, a beautiful young woman who is newly divorced into a, a perfect relationship now from her. Why do I say that? because you might not know or have ever been to a pure romance party. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about it because this is this is something that I do go over every single one of my parties. A pure romance party is different than it used to be, but it definitely has a lot of the same similarities that it used to, okay? So an in-home party uh, of this caliber, pure romance, educate, entertain, and empower is kind of their tagline, and it is um, ever-evolving, especially in this modern-day era. But the general theme of an in-home party experience is about bath, beauty, and bedroom accessories. There's generally a demo done with products. People get to lick, taste, and smell. And then there's a private consultation room where people get to place orders, okay? Now, and it sounds just like that. That is all that it is, okay? I have operated my business from day three couldn't have been from day one because I didn't know any better from like day three I have always been more than a party it has always worked out for me that has been my hashtag people know me for it I've been able to 1000% live that brand and I love it because hashtag more than a party is being more than a party I'm not here just to sell you some stuff I'm here to do a podcast about sexual wellness and intimacy building right I'm here to be in the Facebook group where we do live demonstrations and sales and specials and all that kind of stuff right so it's more than a party it always has been uh, if you've never been to a party though you know the the misconceptions are abound I mean there's so many of them but and there are some consultants who have given us that name there's also some companies who have given this given us this name because when I got in nine years ago there was some companies who allowed men to come to parties there was some um, companies who allowed for you to try products below the belt and I am not judging I'm just saying that the business model for pure romance has worked it is one of the only companies that is still in existence that does the in-home party experience so 
they've gotten some things right and I have just been so grateful to have been aligned with them because I just feel like they're classy and they try to remain that way and that's important because while it sounds funny or maybe goofy to have a bunch of people at, at parties trying out product and I know it can be a visual wet dream for a lot of partners, especially masculine people, but that's not what happens. And it wouldn't be a very productive party if it was, because it would just be an orgy at that point. You know, and my parties have evolved over the last nine years to completely, something completely different or unlike anything I would have ever expected them to in the best way possible, right? So that's not, that's what I don't do. We don't get naked, we don't try things out together. It is me talking pretty extensively uh, about a limited amount of products. It's really more about the content, about you know how foreplay is important, and about the feminine body and the masculine body and how they have different types of requirements. Even though we all have nerve endings from the tops of our head through the tips of our toes, people have different roadmaps. But not only that, there's different uh, nerve endings in different areas that would be considered pleasure zones for the body, right? So that's what I do is I try to incorporate the whole understanding that you can't have great sex if you're a tired, overworked person right? You can have fulfilling relationships when you really put the effort in towards those and they start outside the bedroom. So that's really what I do. So over the years, of course, there have been a lot of patterns. There's been a lot of consistencies there's been a lot of similarities. And that's been very eye opening and also incredibly relieving as a human being, as a woman, and then somebody then who gets to take this information back to my parties. So the first thing I want to talk about is the top three things that I have heard over the years very consistently from people. This is, um, I think it's funny for people because it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so many people, you know, go through the same thing. But at the same time, it should be like a reality slap upside the head for us because one of my most favorite things that I say at a party is, you know, any statistic that I give, especially if it's a high percentage of people, is that just because it's common doesn't make something normal, okay? And so the three top common things that I've heard is an accumulation over the years in the ordering room, because the ordering room is separate from the demonstration. About an hour and a half is what my demo takes me to do through that bath and beauty section. I take a small break and then we come back and we talk about uh, vibrating products and how to incorporate them into couples use, why they can be important and mind blowing. You know, trying to get the comfort level to a place where it's like we're talking about what was on Netflix last night. Because the more normalcy that we can give to the most natural thing that is planet Earth, like this is how we all got here, animal species, all of us, um, you know, it's just the easier things are going to get. And there's so much wrapped up. If you listen to the last podcast about you know, um, the cultural norms and the expectations and the programming that you're given around how you're supposed to be and what it looks like and so on and so forth. It just, it can be very confusing and very complex. So the ordering room is such a magical place. Um, you know, in the beginning, I didn't have a lot of control over the ordering room. I'd have people that would come right up to me at the table before I'd even go into a separate room. So I had to instigate, you know, kind of this, I mean, a lot of processes really, but um, I had to instigate some things that would really help me turn into a better intimacy coach. And it was ultimately kind of, well, I don't know if it was really about sales initially. It felt like it was kind of about the sales, like to get people separate so they could really talk about stuff. But it became so much more because when you give people the privacy that they may not know that they need, because you know, some people are like, oh, I don't need to order private. Like, I don't care how many friends know that I order. Yeah, that's fine. But when you announce that publicly, what about your friends that are okay, you know, with you knowing what they ordered, but they don't want you necessarily to, to know what we're talking about. They don't need you to know the intimate details that are going on behind closed doors or they want to have going on behind closed doors, especially if they're into anal and you only ever talk about how it repulses you. So it doesn't matter who your closest friends are. There are some things that they may not be able to tell you or they want to tell you or whatever. Like that's, that's the beauty of the consultation room because there are things that happen in that room that astound me in the best way possible. So I also disclose this at my parties that it's incredibly common for people to share things with me in the ordering room that they have never talked to their partner about. That is like, that's not surprising though, because how many of us have things that we don't talk to our partners about that are outside the bedroom issues? How can we expect that we can be vulnerable about our bodies that we might carry shame and guilt about if you know we can't even tell our partners that we're mad that they didn't pick up their dirty socks, okay? So it's the, the most common thing um, you know, is for women to t share things with them that they can't talk to their partner about. And ultimately, you might be looking for just some support. Um, you might be looking for guidance or a suggestion. I just hold the space because the more that you can talk things out loud, the more you're going to start to start start to trust your own intuition and be able to navigate through what decisions you need to make or at least some thoughts you need to process. So incredibly common to hear things that partners don't know about. The second thing is that sometimes we talk about things that doctors don't know about. This is both 
I'm, I'm going to use the term good and bad. It's not bad by any means. But it's like some of these things, it's not necessary that a doctor has to know. It's like stuff we can definitely work out. It might even be something that you might need more of an emotional support opportunity for than, um, you know, your actual doctor can do for you. Uh, some of these things are absolutely things that I would encourage these women to go see their doctors about, their OBs about. It's something that's out of my scope or something that I've heard enough about that I can say, yes, I can probably validate that what you're going through is yeah that's probably true but i can't medically tell you that that's accurate so you know that's that's a big deal too because it gives women the comfort of knowing again that they're not alone that somebody else has gone through something very similar maybe it was um you know something i did with a podcast with uh dr asta with you know vaginal health and learning about pelvic health and uh, doing the muscle exercise and stuff. I don't know a lot about that. I, I know that I know a great resource to that so I can refer people, but that's, that's incredible to be able to share stuff with somebody who is also disclosing at parties that I don't have a degree in anything medical, but vet tech, veterinary technology. So you're putting a lot of trust in somebody and I don't say that to discourage you then from being open and vulnerable. I am so grateful that you are, but there's something about more than a party space that, you're willing to tell me this information when you know what my credentials are. And I don't think that they're lacking at all. I, I will go out on a limb and say that I think that that is something that's like maybe even less intimidating for people is that I don't have a degree. I've been in the field for almost a decade. I have been in and out of thousands of houses. I have, well, I would say probably, it's, it's probably been hundreds of houses, but it's been thousands of conversations I've had about sex with mostly feminine entities I just, you can't beat that. It's like, I don't even know what year 10 is of school, but it's got to be past a doctorate, okay? So, uh, and I'm not comparing myself, by the way. I'm saying that people with doctorates, you know what I'm saying, okay? I'm just field work. I, I, that's best for me. Book learning is okay, and I continue to do it to this day, but hands-on visual learning is where Rachel learns best. So the repetitiveness of seeing common issues, the repetitiveness of answering similar questions, the repetitiveness of feeling and seeing the energy around women, it's beneficial as hell, okay? As hell. So anyway, um... That's what's important about that. So here's the top three things that I have heard consistently over the last nine years uh, in the ordering room, okay? Now, when I first started, again, nine years ago, whatever that was, it would have been 2000, so 2009-ish, I don't know, something like that. What did I say? I just said 2009. 2012, Rachel. I don't know why. I don't even know where that came up with. My brain totally fried for a second. 2012. And I don't know if that really makes a difference because I, I mean, I can't tell you what was going on really culturally. I know Fifty Shades of Grey was really big at that time, but I don't think that makes a difference. Uh, in the very beginning, I think that um, the most common thing that I heard frequently was women having concerns of having a lower libido than their partner, generally a male partner. Okay. And this doesn't surprise me. It's still a pretty common thing. It's definitely less common than I used to see. And I think that this is, there's a couple of trends why. Number one, like I've been teaching and selling sex for almost 10 years and that's just me. So if that's one decade, one person, we know that there's progression around the conversation about sex and intimacy. So I believe that almost a decade ago, it was still very niche -y. I think it was very cliche. I think it was still very hush-hush. I think it was still very much, you know, men bitching about women not giving it up and feeling entitled to that. I thought that, I think that that was very much a, a very strong narrative for women. So this is not uncommon. This was not uncommon for women to be detached, you know. And when you have this as a quote-unquote issue, it's not as frequently about the body as people think. It's not emotional. It's not that you're like your feminine hormones are low and you're not attracted to people or you don't have a sex drive. That's almost never what it is. And I have to say almost because of course there are hormonal differences that you do want to talk to your doctors about. That is something that is definitely beyond my scope. This is not something though I will say you see very frequently from most people. This is not what most people need to be in a place where they feel like their sex life and intimacy is sufficient. And I'm also going to take that one step further and tell you that in my personal studies of everything that I go out and I take a peek at and I try to learn better for my business and my personal well-being and for my clients is that science is backing this up. Science is backing it up that, you know, the more free you become, the more self-love that you have, the more aware you are, the curious you remain, the better fulfilled you're going to be, which is also going to translate to sex. So low libido is 
not emotional. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it is emotional. I don't know why I said that. It's not physical as much as we think it is. It's way more emotional, right? Because if you start to associate sex as a chore, as in your partner only initiates it um, by poking you in the back, or they ask for it all the time, but you feel like, uh, oh, we'll get into this a little bit actually for the second one, the second consideration. But these are just things, okay? You have to think about this. Libido is more about energy than it is about the physicality. Okay, because the second thing that is pretty common for me to hear for uh, people in the ordering room tends to be about, let's say about three or four years ago, maybe five, four to five years ago. So that was when I started to hear more of this opportunity. So the first thing in the very beginning of my career would have been low libido. My partner has a higher drive than I do. How do I fix this? Right. And also I'm going to, I'm going to be back it up for a second because that first one, that was always felt like not always, but majority of the time when people were talking about their partner having a higher libido is it almost felt obligatory. I think I made that word up, but that's what it almost kind of felt like is that women felt guilty. They felt bad that they weren't uh, putting out as much as they wanted to. I got better about asking this question later in my career because it became like the first question I would say to people was, are you still attracted to your partner? Do you see yourself with them for a long period of time? It's not to be gossipy or nosy. It's because if you don't see yourself with them long-term, how and God's your earth can you expect that you're going to start to train, change your thinking and your mindset around your attractiveness to them? You can't fake that. You can't push through that. Like you can try, but it's going to be miserable. And the, the beautiful news is, is that most of the time, a high percentage of the time, when I ask a question like that or something to the effect of, well, do you miss sex? Do you wish there was more sex? In your ideal world of intimacy, what does that look like? When I ask questions like that, they almost never say, I don't want to be with my partner or I don't want to have sex anymore or I'm not interested in sex. It's some type of extenuating circumstance that has led them to a compounding emotion of this feeling that now has translated to sex is not sex anymore. It's it's a chore. Okay. That's so important. And you have to hear my heart when I say that because it is permission giving beyond belief because women think there's something wrong with them. They think that it's an easy fix. They think that um, all of their friends are turning it off and turning it on a hell of a lot easier than they are, uh, but that it's that easy. And it's not, it just isn't. It's so encompassing. It's so encompassing. So that's that low libido conversation, right? So the, th the second thing I started to hear a few years ago was conditional libido questions like, but I'm exhausted, but I'm tired. I bet that I would probably have a higher libido if such and such would happen. My partner did more things. My partner helped me with the kids. Um, whatever it was, whatever it was, it was conditional. That's a hard one because conditionality, I think, is um, borderline. You have to always check yourself for victim and martyr, martyr, martyrdom. Is that the word to say? It's like it's not martyrhood, martyrdom. Rachel is also guilty of this too, is I do a lot. I mean, even as a people pleaser, I do this a lot where I'll be doing something and I'll be like, why am I the only person that does this? I feel like I do so much more than everybody else. Is anybody else going to recognize how much more that I do? And I start comparing and contrasting what I'm doing versus what other people are doing, even when it's not tit for tat. Like I could be like putting away the dishes and I'm like, why am I the only person that puts away the dishes? when there's only one person that can't put away the dishes, you can't find people putting away the dishes one day. So if I'm doing the dishes and somebody else is me sweeping and mopping and somebody else is taking out the trash, it's kind of equal. Okay. But that's, that's just the way that sometimes at least my brain works. Um, and I've been obviously trying to repurpose how that formats because I would rather come from a place of abundance instead of a place of lack. Look at all these people that are here to help me. Look at all this slack that is taken off my plate, but it's hard not to, especially when you feel like things are piling up. But I will also tell you real quick before, you know, we go too far into this conditional thing that this is a you problem as well. All right, and that is something I don't say to your face in the ordering room, okay, in that manner, I should say. I, I do find a gentler way to say that because you have to realize that if you are doing anything in life, if you're huffing and puffing about doing the chores, if you're huffing and puffing about your partner initiating sex and you kind of just feel like you're rolling over and doing it, whatever, then you're the one that's setting that expectation and boundary. You're allowing that person, those persons, that family, whatever it is that you're not establishing, this is what I said I'm going to do and this is the only thing I'm going to do or this is how I'm going to accept it or whatever, it, that is on your shoulders. And I know that's hard to accept because that's me as well. But if I'm upset because I'm the only one putting away dishes, I could only be mad at me. Unless, of course, I have gone out and said, hey, family, it would be so fantastic if I could get some help on Monday, Wednesdays, or Fridays, or every day after school, so-and-so did this, or whatever, whatever. If I have then asked for the help, 
by all individual parties who are involved at least once, right? And I've made it clear and I've gained their consent and they've gained their agreeance, agreement, agreeance. I've, I've gained their agreeance. Then after that, I have the opportunity to be upset. I still get upset, right? It's not, I'm mad at you because you violated it. I am upset because now I probably have to reiterate to my family that I've established this boundary and they're not respecting it, okay? It doesn't happen overnight. People will still walk over your boundaries. It's a matter of what is that reaction? Did it feel like it was deliberate? Did it feel like it was like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to learn as well with you? You know, is there open opportunity to, for that? Clear the air as well as let's try again or whatever. You can ab absolutely gauge this from consideration to consideration. So that's something to make sure that you're taking a note of. But once you have established the boundary, once you have reiterated that again, once everybody's on board, it is okay for you to go, hey, listen, like we have talked about the fact that this is this thing and this is that thing and you've agreed with that with me. So what step am I missing so I can feel fully supported by this, okay? All we're ever trying to do out there is to get people on the same board as us. And it's all going to come down to expectations every single time. I have an expectation of my partner being this way. I have an expectation of my children being this way. I have an expectation of my boss being this way. I have an expectation of my lifestyle to be this way. And that's okay. Everybody does, by the way. So whether you think about it or not, or you're like, oh, I've never sat down and didn't really got clear on that. Okay, that's fine. But you have an autopilot program in your brain that has already told you what that's going to look like. Whether you've chosen to be specific on it or not, doesn't matter. And whether you've been actively doing it or not, doesn't matter. Because even if you did not actively choose my wife will look like or be like this, this, and this, your subconscious programming from your parental growing up, whether that was an actual uh, mother, father figure, or another caregiver, or lack thereof, was what set the pace for the way you are today and your expectations today on a subconscious level. So I'm going to take this moment to tell you that if you are not somebody who has ever sat down with your partner and said, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about moving in together. Um, just so you know, I am not the best cleaner. I will do it after like day two or day three. I'm not like super messy, like let the bugs come into the house, but I'm probably gonna leave a cup around. I'm probably gonna leave my socks around. I'm probably gonna leave this around. So how do you feel about that? Like, are you a super clean person? Do we need to kind of compromise that maybe I put a sign up that says, hey, Rachel, don't forget to pick up your socks. Or I'm just going to tell you, hey, every Monday and Thursday, I'm gonna go around the house and pick up my laundry because I do laundry on that day. Is that something you're okay with? Does that, I mean, that sounds so silly that we're talking about roommates living together and how you leave your socks. But did you ever, with anybody you have ever lived with, ever shared space with, sat down and said, this is my expectation for this room. What is your expectation? Are we on the same page? Are we not on the same page? What works for you? What doesn't work for me? What can we accept as both of ours? What can we compromise on something? And then what can we throw out that's not gonna work? Have we ever? Most of us haven't. And I'm gonna take it one step further as a reminder that even if you have done the beginning of your relationship, did you do it when the circumstance changed? Did you do it when a new roommate came to the house? Did you do it when you moved to a new location? Did you do it when you got into a new relationship? Did you do it when you had a baby? Did you do it when you considered getting married? Did you do it when you needed to ask for a raise? These are your seasons of life that are changing, which also have a complete effect on the trajectory of your everyday environment. So if you're not sitting down often in reviewing what the expectation is, then somebody's gonna feel left behind. Somebody's gonna feel misunderstood or not even heard, even if they never said anything, because we don't know any better to do that. We don't know any better. We assume people can read our minds. We assume people know what we want. We assume they want the same things we want. So we assume that we're gonna be taken care of and we are often not. So it's so important that we get real with ourselves and we have to be understanding that that other person might not have the same expectation, but that's why we're having the conversation and then we decide what works best for us and then throw out the rest. So that's number two, conditional libido basically, okay? Now the most common thing that I started hearing pretty recently um, I would say within the last one to two months, let's, let's, let's be more generous. I'd say two and a half years. Let's say two and a half years. Women having higher drives than their partner and how do we fix that? Okay. So this is such an interesting um, piece for me because I truly believe, especially being in my field, that that's not a new group of people. I think that women have had healthy, high libidos for a very long period of time. But number one, we don't have anything to compare to. How do you say what's a high libido in a human being, let alone a woman, um, let alone a woman of a certain age range, uh, environmental status, hormonal circumstance, uh, physical health? It's it, There's no such thing as like a set drive. Oh yeah, if you wanted it three days a week, you probably have a normal drive. And if you wanted five days a week, you probably have a high, no, th that's not fair. That's not fair. 
So I'm going to take that one step further though as well, because there have been women throughout my entire career who have said, I want it more than my partner. What's wrong with me? That used to be kind of the question at the beginning is what's wrong with me? Is this normal? And, um, Luckily, a lot of women who did have healthy sex libidos um, or healthy intimate libidos, they, they didn't usually feel like there's something wrong with me. They just wanted their partner to have more sex with them. Okay, I'm also going to put a pin in this, right? Okay, because this is something that I feel like is a really great group of people that we need to come back to. We need to focus on. We need to like pick into these people's brains so that more people, especially women, have the permission to initiate, to uh, acknowledge their drive, to acknowledge their bodies, all of that stuff. But through some retrospect, I'm going to plant some seeds and I'm going to tell you to <laughs> do some reflection on that because I can tell you that I am 1000% of group number three. That probably wouldn't surprise a lot of people if you're in this this field you probably have a quote-unquote normal libido curious libido healthy libido high libido something to that effect so that probably wouldn't surprise anybody but um not only am I not very public about my own life which is kind of surprising because people might think that I am sometimes with the things that I share I'm not very especially when it comes to my intimate world I like to make jokes and stuff but like specifically about my life I don't really like to talk about that kind of stuff um but I'm somebody that would be classified in that third group because I'm not somebody that would easily initiate with a partner. I, I felt I felt shameful. I felt like a dirty girl. I didn't feel like that was okay. All right. And as somebody who has grown into sexuality and intimacy through personal growth as well as through my business, um, my intimate world has never been better. The ability to voice what I want and need is still, it's not fantastic, but it is light years ahead of where I used to be. And just being able to talk to my partner about these kinds of things is just, that is just 100% 100% expansion, like 100% improvement, at least from my perspective and the way I feel about it. But it also allowed for me to start to see sometimes when um, I would initiate or I'd put some vibes out and I wasn't rejected, but it wasn't met with maybe like the same level of enthusiasm as I'd wanted it to be or where I was. I had to kind of start checking myself because I was able to recognize that as not rejection. It's just that my partner isn't in the same mood that I am today and that's okay. It's not a personal rejection. It's a personal preference for them. They're tired, whatever, whatever. I had to do some um, really deep inter-reflection and soul digging and understanding that I, I think that I was often and still do equate sex to anything, to fulfillment, to connectivity, to replace boredom. I know that sounds terrible because that's not really what I do it for, of course, but the a level of dopamine, the level of uh, serotonin that I receive and have always received from the feelings of affection and anti-rejection that like that's my biggest thing is security. Those, those are things that can be quote unquote unhealthy. I don't think that I'm a sex addict. I don't think that I'm even contemplating like going that far into a conversation, but I did have to notice that it was not much different than the craving, quote unquote, of sugar in the refrigerator or anywhere, cupboard, when I wasn't feeling really good about me, when I needed to distract myself from being bored. Sometimes seeking out the comfort of a partner, it's a distraction. It's a distraction to maybe when I'm not feeling so good about myself. And I think some of us even know this, right? It's like, well, I absolutely feel better after I've been with my partner. That is great. Your partner should help for you to feel better. But do you feel better because your partner helped you feel better? Or do you feel better because you deepened your connection with another human being? Because those are two different scenarios. And I believe that I subconsciously, not consciously at all, subconsciously for a very long time have used intimacy and sex, not as a weapon for myself, to build myself up uh, for that matter, to feel important, to feel needed, to feel wanted, to not feel rejected, um, for sure. So you gotta be careful about that one. But I think high drive, is something that lots of women have have and will have, especially as we continue these conversations, we start to discover a little bit more about our bodies and physiologically how that's connected to your energetic spirit and uh, relationships and intimacy and things outside the bedroom. I just don't think there's any way of getting around it for sure. So those are the top three things that I definitely hear, low libido, conditional libido, and having a higher drive than a partner uh, around those things. So the next thing I wanna swing into is some top three considerations for great sex and great intimacy, taking into consideration what we just talked about, but then also moving forward. So if I had to like um, just make some recommendations from somebody that had zero to no experience in the intimate world, and they're like, I just want great sex, which is actually kind of what it was like in the beginning for me, right? It's like somebody would say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to place an order, or I want this, this, and this, and be like, sure, here you go, here's your stuff. There wasn't a lot of conversation around it, there wasn't a lot of suggestions, there wasn't a lot of anything. 
Then, as time seemed to progress, it became more natural for me because, uh, uh, let me explain. So, as most of you know, one of the things I talk about that I struggle with, I've always struggled with, is I don't like to sell people anything. It's become my identity that I stand in front of people and I explain what intimacy is about, what it can be about, what steps it takes to get to good intimacy, which isn't required by product. It's not required by product. Product is just something that is a helpful aid in the same way shoes are not required to help you walk, okay? So um, the shift that started to happen for me is that I, I started to plant that seed for myself that I wasn't in the ordering room selling anybody anything. I had just given them a presentation about intimacy and had also made some suggestions about products that could help if they were finding problems or wanting to increase whatever, increase um, maybe connection or intimacy or feeling or whatever between their, their themselves and their partner. So I just told them some opportunities and they get to decide what is best for them and their intimacy needs. And of course, I'm there for suggestions or guidance. And that became a game changer for me because what used to be that I would sit in the ordering with somebody in complete silence as they flip through a catalog because I didn't know what to do if they weren't telling me what was going on in their intimate world and I didn't really know how to probe gently, then it was just an order transaction. But when it became more about asking qualifying questions, when it became more, excuse me, more about what is it that you envision for yourself, the game was changed. I rarely tell people, literally tell people what to buy I make suggestions. I tell them, this is what's most popular. This is what my clients tend to find. So I digress. The reason that's important is because it changed the name of the game in the ordering room for me. What I can tell you is that the top three things that I would consider for people to implement, consider, like I just said, um, get and try, one of them is product and two of them are not. Okay, so I'm going to go in my opinion, probably least important order. Okay, so the first thing top but like number three I guess you would say would be a lubricant a lubricant is for comfort the way I describe this in my demo is that lubricants are for comfort enhancement creams are for increased potential pleasure because people often think they're coming to me because they need a tingling cream or an enhancement product but that's not necessarily the case that is for increased potential of pleasure it heightens your nerve endings it increases blood flow you might have um uh, an, an, an easier chance of achieving an orgasm or um, multiple orgasms if you already have orgasms. But lubricants are for comfort. The body is meant to naturally lubricate. The vagina does that. The vagina, the vulva, is a moist area all the time and it's meant to be. It's supposed to be. It naturally secretes the things it's supposed to. If you feel like your body is abnormal, you have to hear my heart when I tell you it's not. If you have concerns, of course, this is something that you're going to want to talk to your doctor about. But um, just for uh, like comparison, I guess I would say, I'm going to remind you of something that you already know. The penis doesn't self-lubricate, theoretically. Okay, I'm going to add an asterisk in that because for another conversation for another day, penises that are intact, meaning a partner who has not had a circumcision, do have the ability to self-lubricate. It is Western culture that is, you know, um, circumcised, circumcised, circumcised. And it's something that people are becoming more open to and asking the right questions because it is cosmetic. Um, I, this is not open for a debate. You can disagree with me and that is okay. I do have one son. He is circumcised. I didn't know any better because I was an ignorant mom when I was a kid. There is no purpose. There is not cleanlier or not. Are any animals in the wild circumcised? They are not. God, the universe, evolution would not have created the body the way that it was if it didn't work. And the reason I'm going to tell you this is because I don't think that penises that are um, uncut lubricate the same way vaginas can. I think that they are able to provide enough lubrication for natural procreation as they're supposed to and meant to. Do animals in the wild have lubricant? No, but animals are also not conscious beings that have things that affect everything from daily stress, having a baby, getting married, changing jobs. So a partner with a vulva, even though you're supposed to naturally lubricate, it can fluctuate. Some of us just don't naturally lubricate. Some of us lubricate so heavily that we actually desensitize ourselves because we can't feel as much when it's too wet in any circumstance. So 
there is varying degrees of what, about what your body can do. And maybe one time that you're with your partner, it's like you need a sopping towel. And another time with your partner, it's like a Sahara desert. And there's nothing wrong with your body. Please hear me when I tell you. And I also need you to plant this seed for your partner because a lot of the time, a partners think that this is an indicator about how successful things are going. Uh, they also blame themselves. If you're not lubricating properly, sometimes they can even like be angry about it, but it's not anything that either one of you can control. It will increase your chances if you're taking time, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, if you are aware of some of the things that are affecting your body, especially your medication, especially your birth control, being graceful with yourself and understanding that you don't always have full control over what your body's outputting. It just, you just don't, you don't, you, I mean, like, do you, do you control how much you're sweating when you're working out? Do you control how much you cry when you're emotional? No. So Make sure that you're being gracious with yourself. So back to this penis thing, okay? So um, I do think that intact penises have the ability to self-lubricate enough for comfort, but um, it's not the same in the way a vagina can. It's not going to be the same way. Uh, and when partners are circumcised, they lose that ability to have any natural lubrication. If you've ever heard of the term pre-cum, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's anything else that people might call it, but it tends to be just like a, um, a clear liquid that the penis can excrete. That's, to me, that's it. That's lubricant. Like lubricant that comes out of a vulva is clean and clear as well, correct? Usually doesn't have a taste to it. It might have a smell. It might have a taste just depending on your diet um, and your lifestyle as well, by the way. But lubricant. So lubricant is about reducing the chance of friction. Friction is what causes pain for both partners, by the way, but especially for partners with vulvas. And skin-to-skin um, -skin contact like that will, the pain that's happening is caused, it's caused by breakage of the skin. So you're literally causing rips and tears on the inside of the vaginal wall. And friendly reminder that that can lead to desensitization over time if it's done repeatedly through scar tissue, okay? So we definitely want to just pay attention to our bodies and add a lubricant at all times. I mean, I think that everybody should have multiple kinds of lubricants in your drawer, depending on the type of sex you're having, depending on the time of your month, depending on what's going on in your relationship. You're going to need different kinds of sex, uh, different kinds of lubes for different kinds of sex, I should say. So I believe that lubricant can be an enhancement for almost everybody in every situation regarding sex. I also know that some people overproduce, so this might not be an opportunity, but I do think it's a consideration that we should be talking about. Uh, remembering that water-based lubricants are the most common for women, um, or for people with vulvas, I should say, because it feels the most natural to what you're already producing. So not only does it feel like, oh my gosh, it just feels like me, it also adds to what you're naturally producing. So it just kind of adds up to that a little bit too. But again, it makes it more comfortable. So uh, water-based lubricants are safe for vaginal sex and for bedroom accessories. There are other lubricants out there that are going to be emollient. They're going to be um, silicone-based. Those tend to be for like longer-lasting sex sessions as well as different types of sex like water sex or backdoor play. Please message me individually for any suggestions about some types of lubricants you might be considering or are interested in. I obviously can only really speak to pure romance brands because that's what I know and I've studied and all that jazz, but most things on the market are going to be similar. They're going to be water-based silicone or emollient. So, um, you know, do your research for sure. Make sure that you feel good about what you're putting on your body, so on and so forth. Okay. So a lubricant, I did want to take that one step further with the conversation about, um, a lubricant and a penis, because you know, what is ironic to me is that if you've ever seen, and I would caution you to be careful about this too, because if you've ever seen an intact penis, so a partner who is not circumcised when they are not aroused, this is, I think, what throws people off visually because it doesn't, quote unquote, look like a penis. When you um, circumcise a penis, you basically are making the penis aesthetically looking like an erection at all times. That is what it does. So when a partner is erect, even though they haven't had a circumcision, it will look identical to a partner who has had a circumcision. So, you know, it's just, uh, again, that to me draws back to that aesthetic situation that it's not necessarily about purpose it's about the way that it looks but we've been brainwashed to think otherwise and the reason I'm taking this one step further is because what I've come to understand about penis and vagina or penis and vulva I guess it might be vagina in this instance is we talked about in the last podcast about how the tip of the penis has the most nerve endings and the very entrance of the vulva has the most nerve endings so the fact that those two are supposed to meet up is just insane to me and now 70 percent of uh, partners with vulvas need clitoral stimulation to have an orgasm during sex. And that's an external component of the body primarily. It is, as we are learning, it's a conjunction, a little beautiful mess of stuff on the internal side of the walls of the vagina and the vulva. So it's not really external. But when you have a penis that's not in its original form, when it's circumcised, it doesn't 
have the ability to meet up with the body ergonomically the way that it's supposed to. I truly believe, and I need to talk to other women who have partners who are uh, intact. I need to talk to women <laughs> who are like European countries where circumcision is just not a thing because more women are going to have more experience with people uh, in general that don't have circumcisions. I'm just curious what their pleasure level is like because with an intact penis and a partner who kind of gets the female body or is open to suggestion, I could almost guarantee that those people are having more orgasms without needing external stimulation or a vibrator or whatever. I think that the bodies probably meet up more naturally than we think they do. So just something to think about, okay? So lubricant, one of the biggest considerations by far, okay? Number two is time. Like I just mentioned briefly in the lubricant conversation. Um, so the next two things I'm gonna mention are not even product time 18 to 24 minutes uh, a partner of the vulva needs in uh, about 10 seconds roughly for a partner of the penis to be fully aroused we probably touched on that last week so obviously there's a huge gap between the bodies um if we wanted to go in again to another podcast about this holistically speaking i just think that this is because the human the, the female human body the divine body is different because it is meant to grow a human child so it's just it's not just, oh, I don't even know how to say this, I guess. Time is just important because it is. There, there is no, there's no analogy I can give you. There's no explanation I can give you, except that it's just proven fact that when the feminine body has more time to let blood flow to the proper areas, to let the vagina go through the tenting process, it just allows for deeper connection. It allows for deeper pleasure. It allows for more intensity when it comes to the orgasm aspect if there is an orgasm it's not required but it allows for more good feeling things to happen that lead up to the orgasm which leads for a well-rounded experience because if orgasm doesn't happen it doesn't have to happen because all of the things that happened prior were just as gorgeous just as beautiful just as mind-blowing all of that stuff so i don't know that i spent a lot of time talking about time it just fucking gets more time in the bedroom together gets more time in foreplay gets more time in physical touch gets more time in intimacy gets more time in talking dirty to each other whatever it is that revs your engine and if you don't know what it is you need to figure it out because the more comfortable you are in in your body at the time the better the sex is going to be period period no argument okay just no argument so that's number two the most important thing in my opinion for consideration about great sex and intimacy is your programming by far it's your programming so uh, we've talked about this off and on through several different podcasts, uh, maybe even briefly last week as well, or two weeks ago when we did the sex head one. Programming. So how you were programmed growing up, your formative years generally starts about age three. Of course, everything that happens to you prior is burnt into your memory as well, but you become a conscious human being around the age of three. You start making your own decisions. You start having your own personality, uh, that kind of stuff. You're still guided. You're still programmed. Generally, the programming years are most heavily influenced up until about age 12 about uh this is all i mean made up shit that we're talking about here nobody knows for sure of course there's no way you can know for sure and then around 18 ish the brain starts to fully form into the adult brain but it's not even an adult brain until your mid-20s so as i always say i think that we are susceptible to programming our entire lives it's the reason advertising works it's the reason we make change uh if we want to make change for good or for bad so programming is it um we are just more susceptible to programming when we're younger because one we don't know any better we don't know that we're supposed to think for ourselves we are reliant on the community around us to keep us alive uh just as we did when we were children and so until the society that we are living in or that you are a part of starts to change and be a little bit more aware and more intentional about the words we use when we talk to children and ourselves no less the actions that we use like say what is it what's that phrase do what i say do what i say not as i do you can't you can't preach that to people that is not a thing more is caught than taught okay more is caught than taught so your programming is instrumental because it is obviously about how you feel about your body do you have guilt and shame when you touch your body were you told women were supposed to be good girls were you told men were supposed to be providers you know your programming is inherent in everything in your relationship, whether you know it or not. So it's about sex. It's about communication or lack thereof. It's about presentation. It's about that security aspect. It's about mothering and fathering and parenting. Um, it's about everything. So if there was a direct correlation, then that's great. But most of us did not have phenomenal parents. Um, most of us did not. That sat us down 
weekly or daily and not only loved us up but then kind of gave us some expectations about people and that the way the way the world worked and how we wanted things to kind of shake out in the way that that translated directly to our actions and our thoughts we didn't have that so we were learning by watching we were learning by association we were learning by our environment and when it comes to sex, especially in Western culture, it's that push and pull dichotomy of the look at me, but how dare you look at me, right? It's that everything is about sex, but nothing's about sex. So it's such a push and pull. And so for people in the United States, it's it doesn't really matter necessarily if you did have a phenomenal um, group growing up about teaching you about sex and stuff, because there's so much about society that your peer groups are pressuring you advertising is pressuring you modeling agencies are, are pressuring you so i think especially for women there's a lot of work to be done about that programming aspect about sitting down and figuring out what your values are your beliefs are how you feel about your physical body how you feel about your energetic body how you're going to align the two of those that is where you're going to spend the most time is unprogramming yourself especially if it does not align with who you say you want to be today and most importantly understanding that that is okay giving yourself permission to rewrite what you think and then practicing that new rewrite because it's not going to be your new autopilot behavior tomorrow 90 days makes a lifestyle change right 21 days makes that habit so it's going to take repetitiveness and consistency and grace and patience to determine to determine how you want your brain to perceive ideas and messages about sex and intimacy and then how you want to choose to execute those that's going to be your hardest uphill battle i'm telling you i'm telling you okay so what are some three three things that we could focus on so those the last three things were things to consider for good intimacy to better intimate to better intimacy to get better intimacy in your life i was gonna say to better intimacize your life which i'm just like i like making up words okay so these top three things to focus on um separately so some additional things basically number one you want to you want to start focusing on the divine femininity okay there is divine masculine and there's divine feminine remember this is not woman versus man this is meaning that every human being houses every single trait to be quote-unquote feminine quote-unquote masculine like we've talked about cooking for example could be considered a feminine trait but my husband loves to cook and there are so many chefs out there that are not women or don't identify as women, of course. So it's not a feminine trait. It's that understanding that femininity is words like caring and nurturing, things that you can associate with the feminine side of every human being, not just women. The masculine side is something that we all inherently have as well. What is one of my largest masculine traits? Provider. That's something that I had to, um, you know, dig deep on when I got with my husband because he, we didn't fight over this, but he equally was a provider. In my previous relationship, I was, I was 90% the provider emotionally and, um, financially speaking. And in this relationship, it is way more 50, 50, way more equal, um, as much as we can allow it to be. So the reason I say that is because in my previous relationship, I was much more masculine when it came to the provider role. And this relationship I've been able to identify that masculine is associated to security to provider so again it's these dichotomies of traits or words that we associate which can either fit on one side of feminine or masculine or it could be somewhere in the middle like this cooking thing or cleaning how about that cleaning as well uh could be considered feminine but it's definitely obviously there's dudes out there that are cleaning so exploring the divine feminine is so important when it comes to sexuality because western culture is very much the masculine side of sex very much the masculine side of sex so you I, I mean i could sit here all day and tell you what divine femininity means to me and how i've embraced it you really need to do that for yourself if you are somebody who identifies as feminine which you probably are if you listen to this podcast one of your biggest things is to remember that you need to focus on your cycle whether you actually have a menstrual cycle or not you need to understand that 24 days on average you're going through a week of summer spring fall and uh winter your body is literally going through those which means you're going through emotions each week that you need to process and your energetic higher self is different than your body your body can feel tired and run down but you can be giggly and laughing on the inside because they're two different things that have to coexist with each other so when you start to deep deepening started to deep oh my god i don't know why i can't talk when you start to deepen your connection to the divine feminine and start to understand that it is going to give you the mind body soul connection that you've been missing if you are somebody who um relates more to masculine or you have a masculine partner in your life remember that they run on a 24-hour cycle 
So just understanding the way that these cycles work, really tapping into your bodies, it's going to be so important um, and helpful in my opinion, okay? So self-exploration and self-love are number two, okay? We could do podcasts on these all day long and we probably will have to because they're two different things. Self-exploration, of course, getting to know your body, getting to know your nerve endings and what feels good and what is associated to feeling good and being okay with that or finding ways to be okay with that so you can translate to your partner and then build them a roadmap, right? Self-love, self-confidence, oh my gosh, it's an ongoing journey that's never going to stop and I heard a really great quote the other day that you have to stop looking at your life as like climbing a mountain because if you if you look at life as like climbing a mountain you you anticipate that you're going to reach the summit at some point and be done and that is not true in life unless you're planning on dying of course but it's really this uh pull back view pull back view of uh growth and spiritual development right is because you're never climbing a mountain you're lost in the ocean in the best way possible because the ocean is almost endless as far as we, I mean, like, oh, besides climbing one mountain versus exploring the entire ocean, it is endless, right? So you're always going to be curious. You're always going to be learning new things. You're always going to be exploring. And that's the way that you should envision it. So self-exploration and self-love, man, that, ugh, I, uh, the reason I can't spend too much time preaching about it is because this is what I'm like deep in the thick of it right now is finding this journey for myself more self-love more self-exploration self-exploration I got down quite a bit more quite a bit more than I have in the last couple of years but the self-love self-esteem self-confidence I'm working towards that every day every day and the last thing I would say top things to focus on is the fact that you got to combine the primal versus the modern so the primal consideration is the body right the body does evolutionarily speaking what it's supposed to do and that's why the body goes through these phases of hormones so you as a feminine person probably desire sex or intimacy more at certain times of the month because your body's saying oh i'm supposed to be getting pregnant at this point so i need to be finding a suitable um mate uh, and at the same time, masculine partners tend to obviously have drives. Their, their drives are different, right? Remember, because like if, if you're a feminine being and you're having one to two to three days in your cycle that you're feeling like fierce as hell and you want to jump everything, masculine bodies go through that once every 24 hours at least, right? And depending on where they are age range, they might be going through it a lot more because their bodies are driven to procreate. They are in their procreation years, Talk to men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and you will see their mentality is different. They will tell you because they didn't even realize or understand that they were driven so heavily, not by the desire to connect, but by the desire to reproduce. They don't necessarily know it, but of course, like, I think this is a whole conversation about society in general that we could have that men just, you know, they're so untapped into the naturalness that is the cycle of life that they don't really get that they don't get that so it's not to excuse behavior it's to plant a seed for you to kind of understand that they are number one but they're going through something completely different than we are mentally and physically speaking but their desire is going to be higher sometimes than ours because they go through that once a day instead of a conglomerate of emotions that are suppressed into 24 to 72 hours like the feminine body can be so i hope that makes sense the modern version of sex, of course, is that we take into consideration the body, but we need to also incorporate deeply the mind and the soul. The mind and the soul is what separates us from animals who simply procreate because the body tells them to do that versus us who have intimacy. We have connection. We have vulnerability. We have all of these things that not only heighten the connection of intimacy, but pleasure pleasure as far as i know as far as we know there aren't animals out there that are having kundalini sex tantric sex hours upon hours of sex uh with you know orgasms that are mind-blowing but humans have that ability we have that ability to tap into that and that is using the body for its vessel but deepening the connection to source and universe okay so um I'm going to try to wrap this up really quickly because I had three things to look forward to look for to oh, three things to look forward to as well. And, but we're like coming up on our hour, right? So connect connectivity of science plus the woohoo. I think this is something that we're going to be seeing more often in the future, but we're already there. I've talked about in the past that scientists have run out of things to solve or study. And that's not really true of the case, but they're expanding. And so they are what? They're studying the microscopic. They're studying the unseeable at this time so where the connectivity of science and woohoo is going it is going to be a game changer and there there are things that we're talking about on this podcast that i guarantee you they'll be talking about in science in a few years when it comes to this mind body soul connection when it comes to sex okay the next thing i want you to uh look for 
is my new demo. My new demo with education and homework. Fun homework, of course, like nothing with a test. But I just ordered two new um, demo products that are not pure romance related, but they're all about vulva and clitoris and um, seeing the actual anatomy of the body. It is going to be a game changer in terms of education. So not only, again, building that pleasure roadmap for yourself, but understanding your body, understanding how similar we are to men. And I'm going to put this out into the universe and I'm, I'm going to have you hear my heart. I'm not going to say that feminine bodies are better than men, but everybody starts off as feminine in utero. So there's something to be said about that, FYI. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be bringing that into my conversations for demo for 2022. And that's what I had talked about. If you came to a party in 2021 and 2020, I talked about how there was kind of this call for um, partner pleasing and not in um, a subordinate manner. It was like, I just, I don't have a penis, so I don't know how to use it. So for two years in my demo, I included an actual like anatomy class about a penis, um, the structure of pleasure for male partners or partners with penises as well. We spent a lot of time focusing on that. In 2022, we're gonna continue that conversation, but we're going to take it one step further and really seeing the similarities between the feminine body and the masculine body and um, just bringing that into your world so that you can have that self-exploration, that self-confidence, that self-love, bring that to your partner as well in case they need that, but most importantly, to deepen that connection between the two of you, okay? So if you're interested, make sure to let me know. I will be doing online parties probably monthly in 2022, so if you're not ready to do your own in-home party, if you're out of state, this will be a great way to catch this new information and education, but of course, if you're looking to have some people in your home 100% free just for the giggles, maybe for some free and reduced product pricing product uh, for intimacy aids. That's cool too, but make sure to let me know. And the last thing I'd say is like connecting deeper while disconnecting. Oh, that's hard. Okay. Connecting deeper while disconnecting. So some things I would challenge you to do is um, if you're like Rachel, you spend a lot of time on social media. I do mine primarily for business, but let's not get it twisted. I'm on there for personal scrolling as well. So understanding that the world is moving towards meta, there's not really much we can do in that regard, but I'm going to leave you with this. This was something that's kind of eye-opening for me. I don't know much about the meta universe. I don't know much about VR yet. I think as a 36-year-old woman, I'm kind of in an interesting place because I grew up in the height of technology and the World Wide Web becoming a big thing, but... I, I don't know if it's because of my age that I'm starting to like become one of those old people that's like, oh, technology, or it's, if it's because of my spirituality where it's like, it's almost, I have to use the word scary to me. I know it's inevitable. Like you can't get away from digital you can't get away from technology and it's so efficient and it's helped our lives and it can truly be done for good. But Rachel gets nervous as I continue to explore more about connectivity and personal relationships and intimacy that it's so important to make sure that we keep our leg in the physical world. So this connecting while disconnecting is so important. So I'm not sure what your life looks like when it comes to not just social media, TV, movies, music, books, anything that takes you away from the present moment. I would really challenge you to set a goal in 2022 to be more present. Whatever your present ability is, I would challenge you to take it one step further. I would challenge you to be present with a person for five minutes a day in 2022. I would challenge you to commit to not picking up your phone for the first half hour that you get up after, um, you know, the morning starts or a half hour to an hour before you go to bed, putting it away and not touching it. Something that allows for you to remember the tangible things in, in real life earth, the mountains and the grass and the ground and the trees and the water and the birds in the sunlight in the sunlight, in the seasons that are changing, the more connective connectivity you have to the real life world, the better off you're going to be. Because not only, of course, is FOMO created in a world that's digital. The quote that I heard, it was from a TikTok, but it moved me. It was like, what, what do people do? What do billionaires do? What do rich people do when everything in the physical world has been bought up? When you can't buy anything else in the physical world, what do you do? Well, you move it to an electronic world where everybody buys the same shit that they already bought in the physical world. So, you know, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but it hits me in the chest. So I know there's got to be some truthness to that. You're not, you don't need to chase FOMO. You don't need to chase what you think is out there. If you were to ask yourself in this moment, if you took three deep breaths, you have everything that you need in life. Probably. Do you have everything you want? Probably not. But do you have everything you need to survive? I'm sitting in an office with a space heater with an extra layer of clothing on and a towel on my head because I get to do work for my office from my phone in my pajamas where I went to yoga this morning with no children because I had a, my dad who took my daughter and my 
baby's daddy who took his son <laughs> to Texas. But that's how I started my day. I could have got up and been like, God, this sucks. I can't believe yoga classes at 830 in the morning. Why isn't it later so I can sleep in? God, why, I have why do I have to wash my hair today? Why why can't I just wait until I can go get a, a shampoo and rinse and somebody else can do it for me? You know, there, there's so many opportunities to look for lack. But at the end of the day, I have everything and more than I need in this moment. More. So that was just an example of, you know, I could sit here and think about what I don't have. My husband's not home from work. I don't, I don't have um, yogurt teeny or a smoothie or a coffee right beside me. I don't have any of that. Yeah, I don't. But I have air in my lungs and a beating heart and an awareness of appreciation to all of that. That will be not only a game changer, I think, for everybody in their intimate world, but something that it's not mandatory, but necessary. I'm gonna say necessary as we continue to evolve. So just some things to think about, just some things to do, just some homework to consider as well, I would say. So I really hope you got something from this podcast. I really appreciate you listening to it. You know, it does super um, excite me for 2022. Uh, I am making the declaration that I am, in fact, an intimacy coach. I'm no longer dabbling in the perspective coaching or life coaching terminology. Intimacy coaching is where it's at. I think uh, for a long time I had a hard time saying that because I thought people would be intimidated by it. People are intimidated. I mean, it's, it's, it's intimacy. I don't want to go to an intimacy coach. I don't, want you, I don't even know what she's going to talk about. But intimacy is the core of who we are as human individuals. We require deep connectivity to function properly, to not feel alone, to not feel isolated, to expand the universe, to grow what we have here. So I'm going to claim it, intimacy coaching. I don't know exactly what that means for business. I don't know if that means in 2022, you know, actually I kind of do as I'm talking this out loud. And thanks for listening if you're still here because I, I, the universe is telling me I just got to figure it out, right? I project that I will be incorporating more of my life coaching, especially my class content into my pure romance parties in 2022. So not only will I be able to extend the opportunity to people who maybe are at the party for fun, but not ready to book their own party. Uh, maybe they just don't want to have a party. Who, who the fuck knows? But they will then have the seed planted that Rachel is somebody I could reach out to for anything. She specializes in sex and intimacy, but I know that if I'm struggling financially, I know that if I'm struggling with my best friend, I can reach out to her. And that's something that she's gonna be able to hold space for me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use my platform for in-home partying to plant the seeds for people that they can connect with me on a larger level, and that's going to grow. So there you go, intention planted. So as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, I'm going to be taking a short break for podcasting. I will definitely be back in January to review the session that I'm doing with um, my two girlfriends for the astrology birth chart, just to kind of give you a little heads up on what's going on there. And stay tuned because um, for whatever, you know, comes, I, I, I will keep you posted and updated for sure. Now at this point, I feel like I'm rambling, uh, but I've said what I needed to say. And I am unbelievably grateful to two seasons of A Good Girl's Guide. I am incredibly proud of a lot of the content that I put out for this. I am so grateful to every guest who was a part of it. I'm so grateful to Jess Anderson, uh, now McGovern, who was a co-host pilot with um, for at least a season, if not a season and a half with me on this. It was phenomenal. We did a lot of growing. We did a lot of connecting. And she had a baby in there too. So uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything that you are a part of when it comes to everything that I'm doing because you only continue to validate me and um, give me kind words to let me know I'm on my path. And you actually literally shape that path when I don't know what to do next sometimes. So thank you for everything that you do. And I look forward to 2022 coming in hot. We're going to be doing some massively awesome things together. And I, I look forward to that. So happy new year to you. Happy new year to each and every person that you love. Stay happy, stay healthy and rock out a 2022. Bye.